0: Fortunately, I think you know all the words in the next reading, so no questions. The Old Testament reading is Psalm 19, written by King David. It's about both the transcendence of the Lord, how the knowledge of his glory reaches into the entire world, and also his eminence, his nearness to us. So let's listen for both in this passage. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Morning. Yes, pray. Let's pray together. Yes, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. We're in the midst of our series on Drawing Near. This is the fourth sermon in the series, and today we're going to look at Drawing Near Through the Word. This is Drawing Near Through the Word, part two, as we had a shorter sermon last week on the authority of God's Word. And although we're looking at Psalm 19 today, there's a scene in the book of Acts that takes place on a beach in Ephesus I'd like to draw your attention to. You just imagine... A morning on a beach, seeing about five to ten men gathered around maybe a fire, having a conversation, seeing some eyes being wiped, it appears to be an emotional scene. It's a goodbye scene. It's the Apostle Paul as he's gathered with his good friends, the elders of this new church in ephesus a new church that he established he preached to them he taught them he mentored them and he established this church and now was time to say goodbye And as paul was preparing to depart from ephesus he and the elders gathered for one last time on this beach in fact the book of acts says that they fell on his neck kissing him they were sad they were crying they were weeping as their beloved paul was going to leave them and they would never see him again as he spoke with these elders on the shore before getting on the boat he said these words to them found in acts 20 verses 27 through 31 he said for i did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of god Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Because I know, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things in order to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. John Piper says that this is Paul's way of saying that the church is always a threatened church. Satan never takes vacations. Paul's concern that this new church will be drawn away from Christ. But it's also a concern for all of us, I think, It ought to be a concern for all of us, because it's also a threat to every church in the world. Every church that claims Jesus Christ as Lord is a threatened church, even grace and peace. Because brothers and sisters, if we don't stay near to our Lord, if we don't stay abiding in Christ, encouraging one another, drawing near to him, We, too, can be led astray. We, too, can be a divided church. We, too, can disintegrate as a church. Growth of any kind never happens without opposition. I mean, we're, we're kind of familiar with this, aren't we? Growth can never really happen unless opposition is overcome. Think about your own life. Think about the things that you are seeking to grow in. Perhaps you're you're going for a particular degree in school. Perhaps you have a goal of starting a business. Perhaps you have a goal to get your body a certain way. Maybe you're going to read four chapters a day in scripture. A lot of times that's what we do first thing on New Year's Day. We start over. And that's a good thing. But how many of us have started new things like that and then encounter opposition and then end up falling away? We're all familiar with the opposition and the obstacles that happen with growth and how much more they are for the church when you have an active enemy against you and Satan. And what Paul said before leaving them, those were not his last words, by the way. What he said was, he said, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The word of God into his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance of all those who are sanctified. Paul was was leaving them, but he wasn't leaving them alone. He was leaving them with the God of the word and his word, the word of his grace, that was able to build them up. This word of grace is a powerful word that is able to build them up because it is empowered by the word and the spirit of God. And Paul was certain of that. But it was something they would have to draw near to. He's saying it's able to build them up. Remember this building process, this building language. Jesus talks about this when he when he tells Peter. He says You are Peter, and upon this rock, upon myself, is what he was meaning, I will build my church. And that metaphor continues throughout the New Testament. Paul uses it in in Ephesians, uh, probably at least three times I could think of. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit, he tells the Ephesian church. Peter later on says in 1 Peter 2, 2, verses four and five, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then Paul reminds us in chapter 4, the very first sermon in this series, was that we are being built up to glorify our Lord, to actually be the body of Christ. But that is a building process to be a church that isn't led astray. It's united in love. It's united in its teaching and its doctrine, a church that is so united and working together in humility, recognizing one another's gifts, and working together to glorify Christ so much that a light of Christ is shining as never before. We saw this as a vision of God for his church, which becomes more realized as we draw near to him. So today we're gonna look at the power of God's word to build us up to build us up to be the body of Christ to what we were called. And we're going to do this by looking at Psalm 19. So how does the word of God build us up to maturity? We're going to look at three ways from Psalm 19 that shows us this. God's word, according to Psalm 19, we're not going to go through every verse here um, that that would take too long, but we're going to look at three key verses here in Psalm 19, at least three. But God's word builds us up by giving us new life, by giving wisdom, and by giving joy. So let's look at this. In Psalm 19, by giving new life. Now, the first thing that Psalm... We're going to drop down to to verse 7, and I'm going to back up, but you'll see why here. The law of the Lord is perfect, is the way the second half of Psalm 19 starts off. The law of the Lord is perfect. This word for perfect also refers to flawless or blameless, without blemish. But to start off by saying the law of the Lord is perfect in this way is a pretty high claim, isn't it? I see blog post after blog post of criticisms of the Bible and why you shouldn't believe the Bible and why the Bible is wrong and why the Bible is this and why the Bible is that. And here the Bible is saying, in this psalm here that the word that the bible itself that god's word is perfect along with that it says along with that it says it revives the soul so two pretty high claims what the psalmist does here is he starts the psalm off by giving a bio of the source of the word Think about when somebody says something high and lofty, somebody says something that you find hard to believe, you want to know what their credibility is to say such a thing. So before such claims are made, the psalmist David provides this this kind of a bio or this list of of the credibility of the author of this word. And he says this, the heavens, in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, or another word for that, it could be their melody or their call, goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world in them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat what david seems to be doing here is saying that the author of the word the author of the law that he is about to proclaim here is also the author of all of life he's not just the author of the word he is the author of all creation and even the creation that he created speaks. The creation that he created declares his glory. Even to those who hide from it. You notice this last verse this, uh, of this half there, the last, verse of chap- the last part of chapter 6, he says, And there is nothing, regarding the sun, there is nothing hidden from its heat. Notice he didn't say light, he said heat. We could turn away from the light of the sun. We can be without the light of the sun during the evening, but we could never escape the benefits of its heat. Even indoors, even at night when the light isn't shining, the earth is heated by the sun. We cannot escape from the benefits of God's creation. We cannot escape from the fact that God's creation is screaming out everywhere of his glory, whether we want to accept it or not. Paul says this in Romans, 4, in Romans 1. It's kind of the same thing he's saying. He's kind of affirming what Psalm 19 says here. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them or to all of us, because God has shown it to them. He's speaking about those who have, who have rejected God. What could be known about God is plain to them because he's shown it to them. Well, how has he shown it to them? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How? In the things that have been made. In the things that have been made. And he ends up by saying so that they are without excuse. To reject what the creation is saying about the creator is to reject the creator. It's to ignore what is obvious. And therefore, if you reject the creator, when you're looking right at What he has created, you're without excuses, what Paul is saying. Think about this. We'll look at, at at a figure on Mars that looks like a face. Or we'll see something, some kind of a shape, some kind of order somewhere, and it will draw scientists from all over the place to try to figure out what it is and who created it while ignoring the magnificence of the entire solar system, the order, the perfection, the beauty Never saying, who made that? But we want to look at a few divots on Mars that might look like a face. And now, going into the second half of, of, of Psalm 19, just as the heavens and creation have a function to declare and reveal the glory of the creator God, his word now, he's going to talk about the function of the word. Just as the heavens and creation have a function to declare, to declare God's glory, his word also has a function to reveal his truth and to build up his people. So verse 7 says, The word of God gives us new life. We say that when he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul it revives the soul now that that word for soul could also be breath or life it's been translated in different ways it's the the word nefesh it restores one, one Jewish commentator puts it this way it restores breath to one who is worn out and out of breath to one who has been wandering who's tired it's said that their breath leaves them the word of God here is saying to restore that breath to bring that breath into the weary. One way this this word is transferred or translated is in 1 Kings 17 as Elijah prayed for the widow of Zarephath's son who had died. Elijah prayed that he would that, that the Lord would restore his life. That word is nefesh to come to him again it would also be, it could also be translated breath, that he would restore the breath into this dead body, that he would once again become a living being. This is language of restoring one who is exhausted. To have the true truth, as Schaefer put it, of God, the words that provide the guidance to the perfect path of peace with God, to be able to rest, really rest, in a truth that you know comes from our Creator is true rest, is a rest that gives breath to the soul, is a rest that gives new life to a weary soul that has been seeking for truth. The words, the words of the Lord lead us to new life, but they also give us wisdom. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, the end of verse seven. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, This word for simple is, is, um, refers to, actually the definition says open-minded. You know, you think of open-minded as as something that's admirable in in our society. Um, But the definition for simple here is actually open-minded. Another one is naive, but open-minded in the sense that nothing is really staying, that you're just kind of letting anything, whatever, you just kind of believe whatever. There's no principle happening at all. It's just whatever you want to believe, you just believe and nothing is really being held. You're not seeking to grasp onto any kind of principle. This is the the idea of the simple here in this verse. But this is not a wisdom that's only available to those who are born into an educated family or a wealthy family or somebody who has the privilege of getting their child educated. But this is a wisdom that's free to all. Just as the benefits of of God's creation, just as the heat from the sun is available to all, just as the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, the the rich and the poor, so the wisdom of God is, is available to anyone who would call upon him, anyone who would seek him, the simple, the wise, the educated, the poor, the rich. It's all available by seeking God in his word. Isaiah 55.1 gives an idea of this when he says, "'Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters.'" He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, hear my words that your soul may live. In Proverbs 1, says that the purpose of the Proverbs is to give prudence to the simple. Same thing. The word of God gives wisdom to the simple. It gives wisdom to those who are seeking for it. The word of God gives us wisdom that will build us up to maturity. For anyone who draws near to him through his word, and to have that new life, that new wisdom, will build you up and will produce a joy. The third thing the Word of God gives here is giving us joy. The precepts of the Lord, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Jumping down to verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This is what C.S. Lewis said about this. Because th- he, was, he was struggling with how is the law of God something I'm supposed to delight in? And first of all, the word for law here is not, or in precepts and testimonies, is not referring strictly to the do's and don'ts of God's law, not strictly the Ten Commandments, not strictly the first five books of the Old Testament, but it's all of God's writings at the time the prophecies, the Psalms, the wisdom books everything that was available, all that was coming from the mouth of God. But C.S. Lewis wrote that their delight, the delight of God's people in the law, is a delight in having touched firmness. Like the pedestrian's delight in feeling the hard road beneath his feet after a false shortcut has long entangled him in muddy fields. You ever, can you feel that? you ever been walking through just mud and gunk, your feet are wet, you're stumbling over things, you're walking over, over a brush, you're tripping, and finally you get to a clearing and you're on this nice, solid road. The feeling of relief, the feeling of yes, finally. And you can follow that path where it takes you. That's the delight, that's the delight that the, that the word of God brings. When we understand where we are without the word of God, in that brush, in that mud. When we understand the basis of truth without the word of God, all depends upon humanity. All depends upon our own subjective ideas. And what happens when we all have our own subjective ideas of truth, our own subjective standards? Then we become a divided people. Then we have chaos and no order. But God has already proved in his word that he is the one who created all things. He is the one whose creation declares his glory and he is the one who has written the word and therefore his word is the truth. It is the standard by which we must draw near. It is the standard by which we must draw near to him because it is coming from him. So he says this, finishing up in verse 11, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. You hear now the servant is talking. First the creation is talking, then the Lord is talking, and now the servant is talking and praying to the Lord. Keep me from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Because when you do that, Lord, then I shall be blameless. The word of the Lord is perfect. That word can be translated blameless. Then I shall be blameless. I shall be shaped by your word and innocent of great transgression. He sees the value of the word. He sees the necessity of the word to be in his life in order to draw near and to transform him, to build him up to be what God has called him to be. This word is able to build us up by giving us new life, wisdom, and to walk in a new way that brings joy for us to carry on. So how do we, how do we draw near in this word? Well, the last verse is this prayer that we've heard, I think, three times now because I prayed it. Barbara read it, and uh, I'm going to read it again. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let them be acceptable. How would they be acceptable in his sight when those words that are coming from our mouth, those words that are the meditations of our hearts are lining up with his words? When our meditations are meditations on his word. When the words that come out of our mouths are influenced and sourced in his word, then they will be acceptable in his sight. See, this word was also involved in creation. But as we see in the book of John, The book of John brings the creation of the word or the word's role in creation into a more incarnate way. The word of God that was part of creation, the word that was with God and was God, was the word that became flesh. Actually became the living word of God. This, of course, was Jesus who continued to speak God's word throughout his life. The one who said, I came that you might have new life and that you might have it more abundantly. The one who said, let my words abide in you. If your words abide in you, I'm sorry, if, if, if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus was drawing us near to himself by his word, by his promises, and calling us to let his word abide in us. Remember the one, the, the, the goal that was, that was given to us by Paul in Ephesians 4, Was that the church would grow in the word that the church would grow to become the corporate living body of christ that we would work in harmony together one body working as one church to glorify god brothers and sisters it's my prayer that we will continue to keep this vision before us as we go through the sermon series and even beyond that we'll encourage one another to grow in christ through the word, that we'll encourage each other by the word, and that God would bring us to a place to where his word is better than than fine gold, sweeter than honey on the honeycomb for all of us, that we would draw near to it and continue to taste its richness and draw one another to Christ as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would draw us to you Lord, help us that we would learn to love your word. For those of us who are struggling right now, Lord, who are having a hard time even keeping our attention fixed in your word, I pray that you would give us the patience. I pray that you would direct us by your spirit, that your word would become rich in our hearts, that we would desire it more and more every day. We ask for that by your Holy Spirit. And through Jesus Christ, it's in his name we pray, amen.